All right. It looks like we have Chelsea Cavanaugh ready to go. She's the Senior Director of Communications over at Jacksport. So let's go ahead and bring Chelsea into the show. Hey, Blythe. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, now for folks who, who may not be familiar with you, with Jacksport, can you kind of give us a little bit of insight onto how you joined the company and how you started working in, in logistics? Well, I joined uh, Jacksport in 2014 in the communications department. Um, and I have a, t- a background in television news. So prior to that, um, I worked at Action News, which is a local CBS and Fox affiliate here in Jacksonville. So kind of telling the stories um, of the community from the news perspective and telling the stories of, you know, the different neighborhoods here in Jacksonville. And so that kind of made a natural transition uh, to my role here at Jacksport, where I work to tell the story of our city seaport. You know, there are a lot of times we hear people say, well, I don't know a lot about the port because, you know, most operations are done kind of behind secure gates for, for security reasons. Um, but there are a lot of really exciting stories to tell about the people who help us keep cargo moving. So I love that because... That. It, well, speaking of Jacksport, because it's something that, you know, I'm a, a lifelong Jacksonville resident. It's, it's a, you know, driving by the port on the way to the airport is something that, you know, I've done all my life, but I've never really known the, the history of the port. How does a city get a port? How, what decision making process goes into that? Well, it's really interesting that, you know, Jacksonville, we, we're known for a lot of things, but we really do have a rich maritime history. Jacksonville is, is really the nation's oldest port. Uh, trade activity in our region dates back to the 1500s. Uh, but more recently, we were founded in 1963. And so, you know, there was, of course, politics is involved in a lot of things, um, but that was how we were founded is through a special act by the Florida legislature. Um, but before 1963, the city operated the seaport, kind of how they operate other things like parks and other city services. But I think what happened was they realized that you know, to operate a port and to really do it right and take advantage of all the benefits that come with op- having a port, uh, you need to have a no- its own agency. An agency needs to take care of all the things. You know, there's a lot of cranes and, and a lot of work that goes into the equipment and the facilities that it takes to keep maritime trade running. And so that was um, how we started in 1963 with that special act from the legislature. A few years after that, they actually added the airport. Um, and so we were Jacksonville Port Authority, known as the Seaport and the Airport. Uh, Since then, in the early 2000s, uh, we split from the airport and now we're just the Seaport because, you know, the businesses are very different. So that's super interesting that the airport was tied to it as well, because my next question was going to be, well, you know, after the port, I guess, is, you know, officially comes to fruition in the 60s, what happens after that? Are you recruiting other ship lines to come to town? Are you building warehouses? What does that process, I guess, that grand, you know, eagle eye view look like after the port officially arrives? Well, so there's two really types of seaports. There's operating ports and there's landlord ports. So operating ports are the ones who actually move the cargo. They lift the containers off of the off of the ships and move them around. We're the other kind of port, which is um, a landlord port. So we actually lease the space that is used by private businesses who actually conduct the movement of cargo. So people sometimes think, think it's interesting. You know, we I work at a port, but we actually don't own any shipping containers. Uh, none of our employees don't actually move any of the cargo. The people who are moving the cargo, they're either the labor unions who have been hired by the private businesses or the private businesses themselves who move the cargo. So we're kind of, I compare it to, um, you know, like a shopping mall and we rent out the space and we maintain it. Um, but the private business businesses actually run uh, their individual operations. Um, but I know that you talk a lot about marketing on this show, and that's really our role. In addition to maintaining the facilities, we really work to market 
Jacksonville as a leader in global trade. And we really work to promote the advantages that we have. You know, Jacksonville has fast access to 98 million U.S. consumers within one day's drive. We have outstanding labor, rail connections. Um, so, so we just work to kind of really spread that message to the industry. And I mean, clearly that messaging is working because we've all heard the horror stories, you know, about the port congestion on the West Coast and how it just, it seemingly is never ending. How has that port congestion affected? Because I, I, I understand it's positively infected all of the ports on the East Coast, including Jacksport. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, we kind of maintain um, uncongested operations uh, throughout the supply chain disruption, which really is a testament to all of the men and women that are out on the docks every day, keeping cargo moving. Um, but, you know, it's it's interesting when we look at the West Coast and kind of the things that are happening out there. Our goal really is it's not to attract cargo that is bound for California or Arizona. We are looking for cargo that is Southeast U.S. bound cargo that really makes sense to come through Jacksonville and take advantage of all of our efficiencies. You know, we have added uh, three container services in the last 18 months. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was here uh, twice in the last year, uh, really helping us spread that message that Florida ports are open for business. And we offer a number of efficiencies. We don't have the labor disruption. And, you know, we can keep the cargo moving. We have here in Jacksonville open berth availability seven days a week. And as you said, the customers are really responding to that. And we are seeing a very high level of interest here in Jacksonville. That's awesome because I, I wouldn't have even thought like uh, you, you want to prioritize the freight that's actually bound for the Southeast anyways. So why not just go ahead and optimize it and bring those ships over here to begin with instead of waiting out, you know, for, for who knows how long. Now, an- another area of assumption for me, which I really feel like I feel like a fool kind of assuming this, but I just assumed that the cruise terminal of the port was just a separate entity altogether. And it kind of sounds like it's one of those, I guess, to, to use a phrase that you just use, a mall tenant of, of Jacksport. How does the the three different terminals, because from what I understand, you, you said it owns, maintains, and markets three cargo terminals, two intermodal rail terminals, and one passenger cruise terminal along the St. John's River. And so you have three main terminals handle every type of general and project cargo. Are all of those operations sort of working together, like sort of like a sister company? How does that relationship sort of facilitate and grow? Are, are they growing together or are they growing independently, but also kind of together? Absolutely. Yes, they're definitely growing together. I kind of look at it as pieces of the logistics puzzle. So we have three cargo terminals that are very different and they offer different capabilities. You know, there's kind of a saying in, in the maritime industry that if you've seen one port, you've seen one port. And I think that's very um, true here at Jacksonville. Of course, you know, all of our terminals are different and they operate differently. But we have ships that, you know, may call one terminal one week and another terminal another week. So it really just depends on what their needs are. And it may even depend on what their needs are for that specific call. Um, but we do have, um, you know, roughly 1,500 ships that call our port each year. And we move about 10 million tons of cargo annually. So um, each of those terminals do stay um, very busy. You know, we are one of the most, the nation's most diversified ports. That's something that we're very proud of. So we move a lot of different cargo types. You know, containers and autos are the two biggest that we move, but we also move military equipment. A lot of people may not realize that um, we are one of the nation's 17 strategic seaports. We are the only port in Florida that moves uh, military cargo for things like national defense and foreign humanitarian aid. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty cool. Now, I- 
Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, with the Mayport base here for for folks who are unaware, Mayport Naval Base, and then we also have Kings Bay that's up in South Georgia. So very important military strategic point um, here in North Florida. And one of the things that I'm also a big fan of is the little boats. I feel like the little boats don't get enough love. And you guys had you know a post the other day that talked about one of the historical tugboats that that you explain it. Break us down what what we're looking at on, on the screen. Well, I'm so glad that you talked about the tugs because, you know, the big ships, um, they get all the attention. But but yeah, sometimes we do get to move some cool cargo through the port. And this was um, a piece of car- a tugboat that actually is from World War II. It was um, involved in the, the Normandy um, mission over there. But uh, it was made in Florida and it went overseas. And so it actually, this is a homecoming that we were able to facilitate. And it was kind of cool. What you just saw there was a modern tug kind of tugging this older out-of-commission tug. Um, to where it was going, but it's ultimately going to um, to Deland, Florida, where it will be a museum um, for for um, maritime um, tugs and and people who have served on those as well. So it'll be a really nice um, museum. But it was really great to see it come in. Um, one thing that was cool about this move in particular was it was a small nonprofit who was moving it through, and they really leaned on the expertise of our sales team. So we have a, um, a cargo, we have cargo experts who specialize. I mentioned that we're one of the nation's most diversified ports, and we also have cargo experts who specialize in the movement of, of various kinds of cargo. So whatever you have coming through, whether it's a container or whether it's something like um, a historic World War II tug, we have somebody who can help manage it. I love that. I love the the little boats need love too. And and one of the the other stories of, of Jacksport, I feel like this this story has been you know sort of a, a a constant for me is harbor deepening. You know, you heard years and years about hey we have to get the approval for har- harbor deepening, and then when it actually started and getting all the funding and 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 now that that's actually been completed. Can you ex- break down the significance of uh, why a harbor needs to be deepened to begin with? And then what happens now that the harbor has actually been deepened? Well, yeah, so harbor deepening, um, it's really a monumental um, moment for us to, to see this project come to fruition has really been, um, it's been amazing, to be honest. You know, the studies for the project began back in 2004, which I think is very interesting because that was about the same time that Amazon Prime launched. And when you look at how consumer spending habits have changed, we talk about, you know, cargo shifting from the West Coast. Well, cargo needs to now be at your doorstep two days after you order it, right? Which means distribution centers are moving closer to population centers. We have 1,000 people moving to Florida every single day. And so Jacksonville is located, you know, we're at the northern gateway of the state. A deeper harbor allows us to accommodate not only bigger ships, but also ships of all sizes. You know, we have uh, Sealy, for example. Um, they recently added us to their first ever East Coast container service, the Asia um, East Coast service, AEC service. And, you know, their ships require a deeper draft. And so it's not just about the mega ships, but it's allowing Jacksonville to accommodate ships of all sizes so that we can bring more cargo and more jobs to Jacksonville. You know, the Harbor Deepening Project, it's not something that's going to provide just a short-term gain for this community. This is 40, 50 years down the road. This is really long-term benefits, supply chain security, and jobs for Jacksonville. And so what happens, I guess, after the the harbor is deepened? It, it, you know, it, we're kind of already in it right now, but does that necessarily need to to be done regularly? Is maintenance need to be done regularly in order to make sure that it's it's deep enough? How does that process work? So regardless of the channel depth, the Army Corps of Engineers maintains whatever is established for that particular channel. So there would be the same amount of maintenance when we were at 40 feet. We were at 40 feet. We deepened to 47. So there is uh, just that maintenance to keep it at whatever the established depth is. 
So there's no appreciable difference between, you know, maintaining the 47 feet or maintaining the 40 feet. So there's not, not a chance. My, I, I was thinking, well, maybe with all the ships flowing in and out that that's going to, you know, maybe dust up some, you know, sand at the bottom or something. And then maybe what if it gets to the point where it's not deep enough? That's what, that was my main concern is that, you know, this is probably something that they have to constantly maintain and monitor in order to make sure that, you know, that a, a ship, a giant cargo ship doesn't get stuck on, you know, coasting across the bridge <laughs> or something like that. Yes, All right, the federal government does a job of helping maintain that um, that harbor depth for every federal channel. Absolutely. So, so let's talk a little bit about um, the community impact of of when a city gets a port. So it's been around since the '60s. You know, what kind of I guess community efforts um, does Jacksport really you know sort of prioritize, and how has that evolved over the years? So, you know, the, the biggest change for a community really is, of course, the economic um, impact that we see, and in terms of jobs. You know, we're seeing a tremendous growth of industrial real estate. Um, you know, I, every time I drive between our office, which is located near downtown and and our Blunt Island, which is our um, largest marine terminal, one of our largest marine terminals, um, we see new warehousing popping up all the time. And so it's really incredible to, to kind of see that logistics network continue to grow and thrive. You know, I love talking about port growth with, with the service providers and the warehousing and some of the people who are involved in that network, because sometimes they are even able to capture how important the port is, you know, better than I can most times because it really impacts their bottom line and their business. Um, so it's really interesting to talk to those folks and to hear their stories about how port growth um, impacts them. Uh, but we do have a lot of, um, of programs that we're working on in the um, environmental space as well. We recently launched our Connected uh, St. John's River Educational Program. It's a partnership with Jacksonville University and it brings um, free river education and resources to area schools. Um, I encourage anybody listening to check it out. It's at ju.edu slash connected. There's all kinds of um, free resources. And so if you're not local, you can use um, the resources that are online. If you are local, you can actually request to have a river expert come to your school or your community group. They do it. It's free. Um, and it's just a, a great service that, that we're doing to really help spread the message about the importance of protecting the river because like as you know, as somebody who lives in Jacksonville, the river is critically important to our economy, but it's also of course important to our recreation and our quality of life. Um, so it's something that you know we feel strongly about um, and helping to spread that message and, and connect people with something that you know can help um, help spread our message. I love that. So, so what kind of stuff is, so if I'm a school and I'm, a, or I'm a teacher and I want somebody from this group to, from JU in order to come out and talk about the importance of the river, what kind of things would I learn? Is there, you know, opportunity to go out into the field or is it more, you know, in the classroom education based? Can you kind of expand on that a little? Yeah. So they've done all kinds of things, which I think is really neat. Um, they do hands-on. They have something called an Enviroscape, which is a 3D model. And it actually shows you um, a lot of the challenges that are impacting the river and how personal choices, such as using too much fertilizer, you can actually see in person how using too much fertilizer gets down into you know the water supply and how it impacts ultimately the river. So they have um, a lot of really neat tools that they use that they can do in person. I think they have done some virtual during COVID, but it's mostly in person. Um, I think there are also opportunities to come out um, and do uh, visits to JU as well. But they do offer a number of, you know, of options depending on kind of what the need is. So I definitely encourage um, any area schools to, to check out that website and, and get connected with us. 
Yeah, it sounds super cool, especially if you can get out in the field and, and see things with your own two eyes on on how you know different things affects the river. And because it, Jacksonville is so unique in that regard, because for a, a lot of folks who don't know, like the Mississippi River is a major logistics channel for the United States. And, and I, I'm just thinking outside of the box here, but with the, all of the freight coming in through the intercoastal, how important is the, the St. John's River here in Jacksonville? How important is that to the intercoastal? And do they kind of work seamlessly together? I'm not even sure um, if, if you know the answer to that, but I'm just, you know, sort of thinking that how important is the river to the intercoastal and then to Jacksport together? I think our message is that it's all connected. And so where we kind of started with the connected name was that Jacksport and JU are across the river. And so we are physically connected by the river. But as we were talking to, with the river experts and the team over at JU, we realized, you know, the whole community really is connected. I mean, you said it right there. The river is vitally important to, to everything here in Jacksonville. And it's something that makes us really special. You know, um, seeing the river in person, you know, every time I see a ship sail up the river, I've worked here since 2014 and it's still impressive to me and I still enjoy it. Um, but we don't take for granted the fact that we can't have a thriving seaport without a healthy river. You know, the two go hand in hand. And so so the St. John's is vitally important. And that's why it's very important to us uh, to protect it. You know, we also, uh, Jacksonville is a world leader. You may know this because you live here. We are a world leader in the use of liquefied natural gas as a clean marine fuel. Uh, we also operate eco-friendly cranes. So there's a lot of uh, things that are happening here at Jacksport to make port operations cleaner and greener for the betterment of our community. Love that. Great insight. So so what other kind of, you know, so so we have those three different terminals, you know, you're, you're taking advantage of the river, you're taking advantage of the intercoastal system. What about the the, the freight that moves through the, the city of Jacksonville or, or through Jacksport? How, where is that, I guess, the most commodities that are being shipped here? Where, where does that freight go once it arrives? Tell us a little bit about the, the flow of freight once it actually arrives in Jacksport. So a lot of the um, goods that come in stay right here in, in Northeast Florida in the region. So we estimate that somewhere between 70-80% of the goods stay in the region, um, but it also goes throughout the Southeast as well. You know, we see a lot of consumer goods, pretty much everything um, that you would see at a big box store, um, you know, comes through our port as well as, you know, we are the number one port for trade with Puerto Rico as well. So we have a lot of port, uh, a lot of trade going back and forth with the island of Puerto Rico as well. And so one of the uh, one of the other bigger stories over the last couple of years has been uh, semiconductor chips, and and because they're so vitally important with the really how all of our society functions. I mean, we wouldn't be able to do this interview right now without having some kind of a, a computer chip in our devices in order to communicate that. And another big proponent or a. a big advantage for using the chips is also uh, auto transport, which is, if I'm not mistaken, the number one cargo that moves through Jacksport. I, am I mistaken in that? Or or how is that, you know, I guess the semiconductor chip affected the auto commodities that are coming through Jacksport? Hopefully I said that right. <laughs> yeah, close enough. So yeah, we are um, we're the nation's number one, or we're Florida's largest container port, and we are one of the nation's top of vehicle handling ports. So containers are are the largest chunk of our business, but autos is is second. So it is very important part of our diversification. Um, but we, you know, of course, you never want to see volumes decline, but there are some declines with the this auto part shortages that we're seeing. Um, but we're actually using this as a time to grow. So it's like when volumes are down. 
grow a little bit. And so we reached a partnership with um, a private, public private partnership with Southeast Toyota Distributors recently. They are actually going to relocate and expand their facilities from our Talleyrand terminal um, over to Blunt Island. And so they are going to grow there. That agreement protects um, 800 jobs. And Toyota has been a really great partner of ours. And they've done a lot to diversify their supplier base, uh, which helps ensure that we continue to bring um, vehicles in. Jacksonville. And, you know, we are expecting that there is a bit of a pent up demand, you know, because globally Mm -hmm. supply is down a little bit. And so all of the growth that we're doing ensures that we are ready to meet the needs when that um, pent up demand and when the auto industry rebounds, we'll be ready. And I know. Yeah, because I mean, several people I know are just waiting to to buy it. They want to buy a car, but they're just waiting to buy it until the right, until the timing sort of works out in their favor. And and another one of the commodities that I wanted to bring to light, um, which I thought was super fun and super fascinating, is that in one of Jacksport's social media posts, it said last year, Jacksport is one of Florida's top seaports for shipments of water sport boards, moving, moving approximately 50,000 surfboards and body boards, a 52% increase over the previous year. Do you have any other sort of fun, you know, cargo related facts to, to share with us? I do. But first, shameless plug for our social media. Um, if you like port facts, please feel free to share or join us on social media. We are on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram at Jacksport or some version of that handle um, on each channel. We also have a YouTube channel. Um, but we love to crunch the numbers. You know, most of the statistics that we get are in weight. So we, we weigh, you know, the stuff that comes in. And so then we kind of play with the numbers and figure out what it equals. But we figured out that, you know, Northeast Florida is home to the Players' Championship. So we wanted to see during the Players' Week, what how many golf balls move through Jacksonville? Because that is one commodity that we move. Uh, and we figured out that 1.8 million golf balls moved through Jacksport last year. So that's enough to play roughly about, we figured, 600,000 rounds of golf, maybe a little bit more if you hang on to your ball. Um, in case my husband is lifting, uh, more than 2,300 tons of flowers moved through last year. So that's a lot of uh, happy sweethearts. I always appreciate flowers. Um, <laughs> last year, we moved 9,000 uh, containers filled with toys. So my kids would love that. Um, if it was up to them, our house would be filled with them. Um, so that's about six and a half times as tall as Mount Everest, the amount of containers wow. filled with toys that last year. Yeah, so we helped them, um, okay. you know. But we try to help out where we can. That's awesome. I love those factoids because that's another thing I think not a lot of people know is that PGA headquarters is also in North Florida as well as, you know, home to the Players Championship, which is one of it should arguably be the fifth uh, major. In my eyes, it's the fifth major anyways. Now, you had mentioned your your husband, who is actually an employee of the Jaguars, longtime employee of the Jaguars. I believe he's in charge of the video department. And if anybody has ever watched any Jaguar-related videos, especially in-game I'm not just saying this because you're on the show, but hands down, like best video team in the entire NFL. I will go to war for that statement. So tell us a little bit about um, your trip to Canton because Jaguars are getting their first Hall of Fame player uh, nominated, Mm -hmm. inducted into the Hall of Fame this week. And you and your husband are actually headed up there tomorrow. Tell us a little bit about your trip and and anything that you're looking forward to, to doing and attending. Yes, Big Bo. It's finally his time, right? We can't believe it. It's been a really long time coming. You know, my husband actually, as you mentioned, he um, is in the works with the production team, and he um, he's been in the room every time when when they have the moment where they either call Tony or they knock on the door to say, you know, if you get the knock, you made it. If you get the call, you didn't make it. And so, you know, the production team is in there because they want to interview him and all of that. And he's 
always been there when, when Tony got the call saying you didn't make it. And so he's really excited. We're really excited. My husband's actually already up there because they have their preseason game tonight. Um, I'll be flying up tomorrow, but we're really excited. You know, it's, and especially in the last few years, there's been so few moments to celebrate as a Jaguars fan, especially we think about last year. Um, so it's just a really exciting time to just come together, you know, um, with all the fellow Jags fans and just really have a moment of excitement. Um, you know, I, Tony is, my husband just tells me that he's, you know, such a great guy and, and he's known him for a very long time because he's been with the Jaguars for 10 years. And, you know, he just tells me if anybody deserves it, it it's Tony. So we're really excited to celebrate and just be a part of, of Jaguars history. You know, just, it's really, it's, it's, it really feels surreal. Um, but I do want to mention that um, one thing that my husband has been working on his team has been working on for the last year is a documentary um, on Tony's, you know, um, the journey to the Hall of Fame. And even if you're not a Jaguars fan, I highly recommend if you're interested in football um, and, and hearing, you know, the highs and lows of kind of a journey like that, I de- definitely recommend checking it out. It'll be out on Jaguars.com um, in the fall, I think in October it'll come out. I love that. And I love echoing that statement because you're right. It has been, the cheering moments have been few and far between the last few years in a variety of different ways. Uh, but it feels good to finally have, you know, a little bit of hope going into the the season that's coming up. And then also to be able to to celebrate, you know, sort of a, a lifelong fandom of the, you know, just the Jaguars being in Jacksonville and finally getting the accolades that I think a lot of this fan base and a lot of these players who have poured, you know, their blood, sweat and tears into this organization. So I, I, I echo that statement. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing that story. Where can can folks follow more of your work? Where can they follow Jack's Core? You know, all of that good stuff. Because you you said it, you have great social media. So where can folks follow? Yes, we are on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, um, and YouTube. And, you know, we really try to share the stories that as much as we can of the Port community. So please check us out. Um, Jacksport.com is the website. It talks about all of the different uh, commodities that move through. So if you're ever just kind of curious about um, what's going on at Jacksport, check out Jacksport.com or our social media channels. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Have fun up in Canton. And uh, we will look forward to that documentary coming out in October. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. hope you enjoyed that episode of Everything is Logistics, a podcast by Digital Dispatch, where we help your company build a better website. And speaking of my company, I founded it back in 2018, but we recently streamlined our website services plans. So if you want to check out how we can help you and your marketing team build a better website and connect those ROI goals, then go visit digitaldispatch.io. You can also check out past episodes of this show and every show by hitting up the resources page on digitaldispatch.io or on everythingislogistics.com. I do some freelance content projects for select clients. And if you liked this show, then you might like some of the other content projects that I've worked on, like Cyberly, Maritime Means, and more. But until next time, I'm Blake Brumleave, and I will see you real soon. Go Jags!